be preaching on from Mark 12, verses 38 through Mark 13, verse 2, if you'll read with me. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people, large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Mark twelve thirty-eight through 13, too. You may be seated. So we have uh, the opportunity to hear from Andre today. Andre is a member of the Loon Mountain Ministry Board of Directors. He's also our treasurer. Um, so it's fitting that he's going to be talking about a little bit about giving, I think, today. I can um, hear you all go, uh. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm thankful for guys like Andre because, frankly, I'm not, I, I don't like money. I don't, I don't like to talk about it. I wish we didn't have to have it. Uh, but it is a resource that God calls us to use for his glory and uh, for his purposes. So thank you, Andre. Well, don't thank me until afterwards. So we'll see. How. Uh, so I do enjoy money. I actually do it for a living. And, um, but I do want to talk not about tithing this morning necessarily, but about giving and giving not necessarily of our money, but of our hearts and our control. So this morning, the passage you read is a story um, that we're going to go back to. I know we're past Easter and, um, uh, you know, Passover anyway. So we'll get to it. So when we talked about me filling in on Marcus's sabbatical, um, they were like, hey, Andre, why don't you preach on tithing? You're the money guy. And I was like, oh, great. Nobody loves hearing about tithing. So um, bear with me this morning, have an open heart and an open mind, and we're going to talk in this specific scripture and understand that it's much more about money and giving and time and all that stuff, and we'll unpack it together. So let's start with a story. We're going to head back to um, Palm Sunday, which we had a little while ago, and quick story for those who aren't too familiar, Palm Sunday, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and everyone there uh, were lining the streets with palm branches, Palm Sunday. And they were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. See, they thought Jesus was coming in as a king to save them with force. So they thought that he was going to come and conquer the rulers and make everything right again. He was the chosen one. But if we, were, if we know, you know, we know from scriptures that he did save everybody, but not by force. He did it by the ultimate act of love, which is sacrificing himself for us. So... The story starts there, but it actually starts at the end of Palm Sunday, which is where Jesus arrives to. So Jesus comes into town, and he arrives at the temple. Um, The temple was the spiritual hub, the city hub of where uh, really the whole town kind of came together and talked over 
different matters, whatever it may be, but it was kind of like the quasi-city center, the intellectual center, the spiritual center. So he arrives at the temple, um, and what he saw was he was disgusted. We didn't read quite in the passage, but if you were, everyone's read the passage about the story, he comes in, and Jesus is just disgusted by what he sees. He starts saying, you've turned my house into a den of thieves. He starts flipping over tables, and this is kind of where the story picks up. Um, so... The temple was not designed to be that. It was designed to be a place for everyone from different nations to come and pray. Uh, It was meant to be a place where everyone was welcome and everyone was come. But naturally, in our own fallen nature, humans had kind of taken over the leadership of the temple. They were called scribes, um, and they were really the leaders of the day. They weren't just the spiritual leaders, but they were influential in town. They usually the most wealthy and a lot of influence, and so... We might equate them maybe to politicians, something like that these days. So we all have mixed feelings on that. Um, but Jesus, imagine Jesus. So he comes in on the back of this crowd to the temple. If I were the scribes, I'd be like, who is this dude? Like, who is this guy? So they immediately challenge him. They immediately challenge him. And one scribe in particular um, is being singled out in the passage. And, and the rest of them didn't like it. Um, but he challenged Jesus' authority. And he said, uh, you know, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And let me just read that for you real quick. It's in Mark 12, 28, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes, so not all of them, just one, this is after they've been bickering for a while, came up, to her, came up and heard them disputing with one another, seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, and we're familiar with this, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one, and you shall love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe agreed with Jesus, and Jesus agreed with him. He said, uh, you're actually, uh, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So um, Jesus and this scribe had this, this little connection there. Um, he gets singled out, and the reason is this scribe was different than the rest. See, the rest of the scribes, as we read, they were kind of, well, how do I want to say it? Corrupt, right? And we talk about the widow, and we'll get it, and we'll dive into that. I'm actually going to read it again. I know we all read it together, but um, the scribes were really in control, and it wasn't a great situation. Um, so picking up in 38, you can follow along if you like, but I just want to read through and pause in a couple places. Uh, after Jesus talks to this one scribe, he then goes into berating the rest of the scribes. So it's probably not a tense, it's probably a pretty tense situation. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, have the best seats in the synagogues, the places of honor at feasts, right? These are really influential people who devour widows' houses and for the pretense make long prayers or for show, for they will receive the greater condemnation. So we're talking about scribes who are meant to be spiritual mentors, leaders of the community, taking advantage of the least of these, which are widows, and we'll unpack that together. <clears throat> so Jesus, at the end of this passage, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, verse chapter 13, verse 2 said, and Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There, are, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is proclaiming the end of the temple. Uh, the end of the physical temple, which is really important later. Okay, what does Jesus want us to learn about the woman? You guys remember in the passage we just read, the widow who puts in the two coins, 
And, uh, you know, right away people go, oh, he's probably preaching on tithing, right? We're supposed to give everything we have. And I actually, why is Jesus drawing attention to this person, though? It's really important, at least in my opinion. Um, one of my favorite verses is, and he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. So I can't remember when we take offering, but imagine if it was me, like, walking around and following you guys and seeing what you put in the offering. That'd be pretty awkward. But Jesus is being very intentional here, and he's focusing on one person, which is the widow. Um, I mean, Jesus is all-knowing and omnipresent and all-seeing, so he is watching, but that's another story. Um, So why is Jesus focusing on the widow and the offering specifically? There's got to be more going on here than just the actual two coins. Um, And I actually think it's about the verses prior, which is the great commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I think that this, is, this story is not about tithing. I actually think this story is about Jesus teaching us how to be a disciple of him. Um, so let's unpack that together. I think, I think Jesus uses this story and he uses the power of contrast. If you guys ever read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus teaches in parables, which are stories, and he uses a lot of contrast. So the wise builder and the foolish builder. There's a really fun kid song about that. Um, The prodigal son and the one that stayed home, the faithful son, um, the rich man and Lazarus. So there's always a lot of contrast going on for emphasis. And I think that's what Jesus Jesus is doing here. He's drawing attention to that same contrast. So on one side, we have the widow, which is we're going to focus on first. And then the other side, you have the scribes who were putting in lavish gifts and lots of money and like to have these long, eloquent prayers, which I can relate to as someone who grew up in church, right? We were more spiritual if we used bigger words or longer prayers and said amen a lot or yes, Lord, yes, you know, so kind of like that. So uh, for contrast, Jesse, this is for you. On one side, we have the widow, and on the other side, we have the scribes. So let's talk about the widow first. So these are two main parts of the story. Um, In first century Palestine, widows equated to almost nothing. They had no property rights, and they had really no say. They were amongst the poorest and the most needy people. Um, You can imagine how marginalized they were. Um, They were really the underclass. They had no voice. Um, The Hebrew word for widow is actually translated to one who is unable to speak, which is pretty powerful to think about that. So they were particularly vulnerable in that time, um, which is why, I don't know uh, your background, but in the Old Testament and in the New, uh, God makes provisions for widows and orphans and the needy or the marginalized. Quite often, if you just go to the back of your Bible and search widow of the word, you'll see 20 to 30 references of God wanting to uh, you know, provide for widows. And that's the biggest reason is because um, they were really particularly vulnerable. God makes it abundantly clear that we need to take care of these people. Um, and let me give you an example. This is Psalm 68.5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy, my translation says habitation or holy dwelling. So protector of widows, father of the fatherless is God in his holy dwelling. That's the temple. So I just gave away the answer, but Oh, by the way, in the Old Testament, when uh, God commands people to take care of widows and they don't, um, God usually sends a prophet and they just rail on them. So 
Um, it's pretty serious, so we'll, we'll uh, take a look sometime when you have some time. Um, where, God, let me ask you a question. Where's God, in this story during Jesus' time, where was God's holy dwelling? I kind of gave the answer. Where was God's holy dwelling? Yeah. So what that means is if that temple is God's holy dwelling, that means then those who represented the temple, which were the scribes, um, the priests, the leaders of the day, if they truly loved God and their neighbors, greatest commandment we talked about before, then they would have taken care of the widows. That seems like a no-brainer. But they were they? Absolutely not. They were exactly doing the opposite. In verse 40, it says they were devouring widows' houses. You see, that's an actual, not a, not a translation to a house to a different word. That's a legit house. See, in those days, like I said before, a widow had no property rights. So if she was a widow, husband passed away, and there were no sons to inherit the property, the property would go into trust, and the temple would be the administer of that property. But it looks like what they were doing is selling the property and profiting from the difference, which is the absolute opposite of what they were doing. So clearly they were profiting from these poor widows, um, and they weren't loving their neighbors, which is they had just said was the greatest commandment and then totally ignored it. So by drawing our attention to the widow, again, the fact that this widow, this is important, catch this, the fact that the widow gave their last, her last two coins to the very people who were exploiting her, we can see that Jesus is condemning the temple. At the end, he talks about there won't be one stone left unturned. But this is really important. You know, we, we usually read over it and we say, oh, den of thieves. They literally were stealing widows' houses, selling them, and profiting from the difference. Um, and this is terrible. And this is a sad part, but this is what this passage is all about, God's judgment of the temple and this kind of changing of where the temple is going to be located. So I don't know everyone's background in church, but when a preacher typically reads this verse or this passage, they usually try to guilt people into giving because this, if this widow gave everything she had, then what's your excuse, right? But that's a terrible way to go about things. Um, people that do that are just as guilty as those scribes. Um, we might call them, I like to call them pulpit pimps. Um, <laughs> They, they do a lot of the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the God channel, what is it called, Daystar, something like that. You know, give your Honda, get a Mercedes. You know, come to the front, lay your dollars at the, at the front and see God bless you a hundred times over. Um, they're just as guilty as these scribes. Um, it's actually really sickening. But God says they will receive the greater condemnation. And we'll see a little bit more about that in the middle. Okay, so now here's another question. Where's the temple now? Not rhetorical. Where's the temple now? It's right here. Yeah, exactly. Eunice got it. It's right here. It's you and I. It's this church. God lives in our heart. You see, um, in Ephesians, let me pop over there. You don't have to go to 19 through 22. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are part of God's family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, this room, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place. There it is, again, for God by the Spirit. So we are living stones in a holy temple where God is the cornerstone. How sweet. What a great cornerstone. Any builders out here? Yeah, pretty important. So if we are all living stones and he is the cornerstones... 
We need to be loving our neighbors and especially the poor and marginalized. That should be the heart of really what we do. That should really be the heart of who we are as sons and daughters of Christ. Um, That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why Loon Mountain Ministry is not about making us rich or making you rich. It's about making others rich in God's kingdom. And that's why we tithe. That's why we give. I mean, we couldn't even afford to pay Marcus. We had to send him off into the woods. So we're, we're obviously not here to make a profit. But those who are poor physically and or spiritually, those who don't know Jesus yet, we want them to know the riches of grace. Is that true? That's what we're here for, guys. This is exactly what we're here for. And that's why we give. That's why we take up an offering. It enables us to love our neighbors. Okay, so we talked about the widow, and we talked about the first part of the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, well, the second part of it. What about the first part of the commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and I'm paraphrasing, and your mind. But your whole life, you're talking about your whole being, heart, soul, mind. This story actually addresses that too. So loving your neighbor, scribes did a terrible job, they'll be condemned, the widow gave everything. But this story also addresses that too. If you remember, on the side, contrast, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders of the day, they were putting in large sums, big fat, we call big fat checks, lots of property they give. They like to be at the head of the feasts at the table, head of the table at the feast. They were very influential people. They had a lot of power and they wanted to make sure you knew that, right? So that's the opposite. The widow's contribution to society in the offering basket was negligible. Two, cop- two copper coins, which made up about one cent right now, one penny. That was all she had. Except what does Jesus say? He says, she gave more than, it's a sign with the, more than all the rest. Everything about the widow is being portrayed as less than all in comparison to the scribes. Except Jesus says she gave more than all the rest. Why is that? Because I think the exchange rate in heaven is a little bit different than it is here. Right? I think that's true. In God's kingdom, the value of the gift, you've probably heard this, is not the amount given. It's the cost to the giver. Right? The value of the gift is not the amount given. It's the cost to the giver. And for her, it cost her everything. Let's read real quick. Mark 12. I'll read it for you. No worries. For they all contributed... Out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Others gave what they could spare. Where's my? Others gave what they could spare. She gave it all. She spared nothing. Right? Little play on words. What's pretty neat is uh, if you ever get into hermeneutics or an exegetical study, which sounds like fancy words, but looking at the meaning of the original text, either in Greek or Hebrew or combination. The Greek text says in that phrase, all she lived on, she gave all she lived on. It actually translates to the Greek word baos or bios, which means life. She gave her life. This is a true disciple, surrendering their life, giving all they had. We love to compartmentalize our life, don't we? I've got religion, got a compartmental for my job, my family. I'm just as guilty as everyone here. We love to keep God in one of those compartments too and just take it out when we need it, when it's convenient, 
when it's not too uncomfortable. The problem is we can't do that to the king of the universe. He's not a genie in a lamp. I know you're all thinking the song in your head. He's the Lord of all. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He is the king. And if that's really true, then the only response is to bend the knee. That's not a Game of Thrones reference. I know tonight's the finale. But think about when a knight is being knighted, right? He kneels and he hands, him in, he hands the king his sword, help first, handle first. He's in a really vulnerable place. And he's saying, my Lord, my liege, here's my life in service to you. And that's what Jesus is after. It's our total life, our total service. That's what it means to be a Christian. We can't just give him part of ourselves. Either God is supremely worthy of our entire life, or what's the point, right? Why bother? Either God's supremely worthy, which he is, and we give our entire life, or what's the point? Let's just fulfill our own needs. See, when you, uh, I'm glad Drew talked about baptism. When you become a Christian, you're not just adding Jesus to your life, right? He's not in the app store. You don't just grab him and add him in when it's convenient, and it's taken up too much space. You just delete it, right? He becomes your life. He's not just an addition to your life. He becomes your life. And baptism is a picture of that. You're burying yourself in that old watery grave. And you're being raised to life just like Jesus was. That's what baptism represents, which is why we do it. How am I doing on time? Good. Can you imagine how easy it would have been for the widow to just give one of those two coins? I would still be really impressed. Half of what she had... Half of what she had, I'd be impressed. But that's not what this is about, though. It's not about giving more money. It's not about giving more time. It's about our life. God saw in that widow an undivided heart, right? She gave everything she had. Most of us, let's be honest, most of us spend our whole life trying to remain in control, right? Mostly out of fear. Here's a good example. Um... I got to get a good, I got to go to school to get a good job to support my family because I want my kids to go to a good school because I want them to look good and do well. And that's great. These are all really good things. I'm not against that. But at the heart of that, that's control, isn't it? That's control. And we do that out of fear. Who's going to take care of my interests? Who's going to take care of my needs? When we say, Lord, take my life, you know, let's take my life, let it be. Do we really mean it? I don't think I always mean it. Or do we want to hold on to that other coin? We want to keep some of that control. The reality is, let's be honest, we have about as much control over our own lives as that poor widow with less than a cent, right? She is every one of us here. We are all so much more vulnerable than we really think we are. We are all subject to forces beyond our control. Ask Billy and Troya how they feel about that. Every one of us has experienced tragedy, shock, death, etc. Sin in this world. And the normal response to tragedy or to difficult situations is to squeeze tighter, right? Is to want more control. Want to increase control. Think about like um, if one of my kids fell out of a tree and broke her arm, I probably wouldn't let her do the tree anymore. I try to control that situation. That's not a great way to do that. The normal response is to grip harder and increase our control. And that's what fear does to our lives. Try to grip and hold on. So what are we holding on to today? Is it a relationship? Maybe it's an unhealthy one. You know it's not good, but you're, you fear leaving and being alone. Is it your job, maybe? Maybe your boss is asking you to do something unethical, but you're afraid to confront him about it and lose your job. 
Maybe it's money. Maybe uh, you've been prompted to give more but have been hesitant because of, some, because of some upcoming bills coming. What is God asking you to trust him with? Your job, your money, your kids, relationship, family. As much as we'd like to think it is, those things are not ours. They are here today, gone tomorrow. When we try to grip harder, we're actually more likely to let those things slip out. This passage isn't about money. It's about giving our heart. It's about giving our all to God. Jesus says, whoever tries to save his life will lose it. This morning, as we kind of wrap up, um, I'm going to sing a song that has some fitting words. It's called King of My Heart, and it's about who the king of your heart is and where does he fit. Um, Let's challenge ourselves today. Let's be more like the widow. Let's give him our undivided heart. Let's trust him with our family, our jobs, our relationships, our money. Can we do that today? Let me finish by praying and we'll sing a song together and close out the service. God, your, your word is so powerful. Lord, we could talk for hours just about this one passage. We're so thankful for the richness, Lord, of your word. Lord, thank you for the example of the widow. Lord, and the contrast that we can learn from that. Lord, we want you to be the king of our heart. We want to give you our undivided heart, Lord. We don't want to just give half. We want to give it all. Or what's the point? You are so worthy. Lord, we're just so thankful. Lord, be with us this week as we continue on. Um, Lord, be with any of these people here today or may not be here that are considering baptism. Um, never too, too old or too young. Lord, you know, if you've made that commitment, um, it's a wonderful representation of who is king of your heart. And Lord, any of these, any people that are on the fence that you would just stir their heart, Lord, on that. We thank you in your name. Amen.